Grab your Bible this morning and turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. If you don't have a Bible, we always encourage you to grab one there in the pew rack. Every heart open before the word of the Lord. And God has a word he wants to speak to us as we're studying his attributes this year. Learning who God is and what he's like. Next year, we'll talk about the doctrine that conforms to godliness. It's not enough just to know what God is and who he is and what he's like. But there's something for you and I to happen in us, our doctrine that we believe should should change us and transform us. And so I'm looking forward as I'm studying and preparing those messages for next year. But today we're considering an attribute, the long-suffering, the patience of God. Now, two weeks ago, we considered the awesomeness of God. Who is like our God, right? Awesome in power. And when you realize that, what happens? You, you see in scriptures, people take a step back and they say, that's God, I'm not, right? And you realize that. It's a good, healthy thing to have. Last week, we saw that God is compassionate. And His is a throne of grace. And because of that, He's reaching towards you. He's reaching towards me. He's inviting us to come boldly to Him. And so we shouldn't be taking steps back. We actually should be taking steps forward towards Him. Well, what happens when someone takes a step back and they continue to take steps back and then they raise their fists and they don't want to come forward? What happens when they delay responding to God's offers of grace and mercy? Well, that's what this attribute is all about. God's essence, when people don't respond to his invitations, to his grace, to his goodness, to his mercies, even when they defy him and willfully rebel against him, praise God, he's patient. Praise God, he's long-suffering. They should be taking steps forward. They should not be taking steps back. But when they don't, God is patient. And that's the attribute that we consider today. And before we dive into what Peter shares with us about God's patience, his long-suffering, when you look in the Old Testament, when you look in the New Testament, the terms that are used to describe and to define God's long-suffering and patience, it's amazing what you find. There's some really graphic words that they use when they put them together to give us an illustration that really is fresh in our minds, I'm sure, if you've ever watched some cartoons. You see, in, in Hebrews... In, in, I'm sorry, in the Hebrew, when you look in the Old Testament, when they use the term long-suffering there, they're actually translating two words, which literally means long in the nose. Now, that's not Pinocchio, okay? What that means is literally you're long in the breath. You're, you're long in your nose in this way. Imagine those other cartoons that you know you've seen when a character gets really heated, really mad, and their nostrils begin to flare, right? They get really wide open and you see them with that pent-up anger and they're not responding yet right but they're breathing loud violently like you can just see the air going in and out and you know dude's mad and he hasn't acted upon it yet that that's what the idea that's the illustration that those two words mean for in the hebrew when you're reading it that that you're long of breath you're holding back what you want to bring upon somebody And that's how God is with his anger. He doesn't respond quickly. Praise God, he doesn't just say, whack a sinner. Amen? You can say praise the Lord for that today. Because some of us, you stop and think just how patient he's been with us. 
When you get over to the New Testament, it's similar. It conveys exactly the same idea as the Old Testament expression. What you have there is this Greek word, macrothumia. Macro means much or long. And so what you have one who has long-tempered. They're long in expressing the passion that is within them. They're long-suffering in this way. Praise God, he's long-suffering in expressing his anger and his wrath. He can get angry, but praise God, it takes him a long time to act on it. That's his essence. That's his nature. That's what we desperately need to know. In fact, when you search the scriptures, what you discover, when we see the picture of who God is and what he's like, oftentimes when we see this idea of God being patient or long-suffering, it's often alongside two other attributes we've already discovered and talked about, and that is God's grace and God's mercy. Remember, God's mercy is that he doesn't give us what we deserve in judgment. Praise the Lord. And his grace is that he does give us what we don't deserve because of his goodness. Praise God for that too. But his patience is often put alongside those two because what we discover is God has a period of time that he withholds bringing us the judgment or the judgment that may be deserved. In fact, when we studied the book of Exodus in chapter 34 and the revelation that God gave of Moses of himself, it was there that God, Moses heard the words, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. David would record that as well in the Psalms. You'll hear that over and over again, that revelation of God given and what it means. You see, when we talk about God's long-suffering, we're talking about His patience. And this is how God exhibits self-restraint to bear with sinful man and to delay the expression of His judgment and His wrath. This is the attribute that allows God to endure patiently when mankind shakes his fists at God, when we offend him and we're unwilling to turn. And yet what God is doing is he's waiting, he's delaying that expression of judgment. He's delaying pouring out his wrath in, because of his anger towards sin. And there's a reason why he's doing that. He's delaying responding when he's provoked. Have you ever been provoked? I don't know about you, but it isn't always easy to restrain myself when I've been provoked. We've seen some of y'all driving on I-77 south to Charlotte, amen? Right? You see, we don't necessarily have the power to restrain ourselves. But what's fascinating is, even over in Nahum, when it talks about God's judgment upon Gentiles, there in Nahum it says, The Lord is slow to anger and yet great in power. He has the power to bring the wrath, to bring the judgment, to bring that to pass at just the right time. But he has also the power to restrain himself and give mankind time to respond. As man steps back and then finally just keeps walking back and won't come forward and won't respond, God is patient. He's wooing, he's wanting us to come. And his patience is that restraint that he has and the power he has. In fact, what happens, it's very serious that we take this to heart today. Because when mankind, when sinners think that God is patient, they may think, you know what? He's not aware of what I did. He doesn't know. Nobody knows. But you see, listen, God knows our 
history on our search engine. He knows. You can't hide it from him. We've discovered that already. God's omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. He's in all places. Nothing is hidden from him. Everything is exposed to him. And yet sinners sometimes scoff at him and and, and reject that truth and and think that they're going to get away with it. In fact, because he doesn't bring judgment right away, they think that maybe, maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't care about it. And so what happens is they go on sinning. And as Solomon says over in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 8, verse 11, he says this, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. You see, just because God doesn't judge sin immediately, just because it appears for a moment you're getting away with it, don't think God doesn't know. And don't think God won't act. He's giving you space to repent. He's giving us space to turn to him. In fact, what's amazing is oftentimes when you hear that God is patient, God is gracious, God is merciful. Right after that, the verse will say something like this. He will by no means clear the guilty. He can't. He's holy. We've already discovered that as well in our study of God. He can't wink at sin. And he has to be a just God in dealing with sin. We've learned that as well also. And so what's amazing is, if that's true, and it is true, then I need to hear what God has to say about his patience, his long-suffering towards us and to this world. Because he is long-suffering, in, and even in the end times, there's going to be those who are going to come, and they're going to question why God is taking so long. Is he really there? And individuals will scoff at God and at his patience because they're unwilling to take a step towards him and experience the grace and mercy. And I need to guard against that. And you do too. And so I want you to stand with me and honor the word of the Lord. I'm going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3, just reading a couple of verses so we can dive right in and go through a good section of this chapter. In fact, what's amazing is how so many of these themes and thoughts are just interwoven all throughout Peter's, both of his epistles. But we're in 2 Peter chapter 3. Notice, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. Notice now, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Father, may we be doing that today. May that be the 
attitude of our heart. That God, we would always be turning toward you. Walking toward you. Taking steps towards you. You are compassionate. You are gracious. You are merciful. You are loving. You are inviting us to, to turn from our sin and, and be made new. Thank you, God, that you are patient with us, Lord. And you've been patient with some who've entered in today, God, and yet to experience your grace and your mercy. And even today, Lord, may your spirit just quicken our hearts, Lord, and help us to realize that today's the day of salvation. Today's the day I need to trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And God, may our minds, our hearts, our lives be made new. We pray all this, ask all this, in the powerful, precious name of Jesus, our Savior and coming King. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. Notice here in the beginning, Paul, or sorry, Peter is speaking and he's addressing the audience as the beloved. He's speaking to them and saying, hey, I wrote you another letter. And in this letter, I'm trying to remind you. I want you to be mindful of this. I'm about to depart from this world. Literally in the Greek, he says, my exodus has come. He's about to depart from this world to a promised land. And because God has promised us, we're not going to stay here forever, y'all. He's coming to take us home one day. Peter's saying, I'm about to experience my exodus, and I'm going, and I'm here to remind you of a couple things. <clears throat> it's important that you grow in your faith. That's chapter 1. It's important that you guard the Christian faith from false teachers. They're all around us. That's chapter 2. And now he's weaving these ideas together in some ways and, and expressing and helping us to realize that until that coming happens... We, God is very patient with those who are rejecting him. He's very patient to bring about his plans and purposes, even when individuals defy God's patience with them. He lays the scriptures down, the Old Testament and the New, as God speaks to us. As Paul, Pastor Paul said, when we open the word, what happens? God speaks and God has spoken in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Peter lays them side by side. That's scripture. In fact, at the end of this chapter, he says, oh yeah, by the way, Paul writes some things which are hard to understand. Um, and, and, and some people try to twist it. But, 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 but it's scripture. God has spoken. And what does God speak? God speaks to you and me. He gives us propositions. He gives us truth. That you have to make a decision. I believe that or I reject that. And those propositions include promises. Promises that you have to choose. I believe that or I don't believe that. Now one of his promises that he speaks of in this. Is that he's coming again. Praise God he promised he was coming the first time. Amen. In fact over in 1 Peter chapter 2. It speaks there. when Christ, I'm sorry in chapter 1. It speaks there that Christ came to shed his blood, to save us, and this audience that received his letter has experienced that redemption. Praise God for that, that God kept his promise, amen? That just as he said to the first man and the first woman, there was going to be a seed that would come to crush the serpent's head, and that he would be bit on the heel, but he would crush the serpent's head and have victory. That's Jesus. And that picture of the Messiah, there are promises all throughout the Old Testament that say that Messiah was going to come. But there's also promises that say Jesus is going to come again a second time. In fact, that's, there are those now that are defying God's patience, is waiting, and he's waiting for a reason. <clears throat> but he's going to come, but they look and they see and they say, well, where's this coming? I mean, you say he's coming. Some of y'all think that he's pre-trib. Some of you think he's mid-trib. 
Some think he's post-trib. I'm pro-trib. He's coming, y'all, and there's going to be a tribulation. He's going to come again just as he came the first time. God is true and he keeps his word. He's faithful. We've discovered all that in our study of his attributes. But because Christ hasn't returned, and oh, by the way, it's been 2,000 years, right? Where is he? Where's the promise of his coming? I mean, is he going to come or not? Some of us get caught up in trying to count calendar days and looking for that day or looking at blood moons and all kinds of other things. And they think, well, it was supposed to be 88 reasons why it would be in 1988. I read that one back then. And it didn't happen. Where is he? Where's the promise of his coming? And so because God hasn't returned and he hasn't come, Christ hasn't returned, they begin to scoff and they ask, listen, the sun comes up, it sets down, nothing changes. In fact, the real reason why they do that and they scoff at God's patience is because they love their sin. They love their lusts. They have the lust of uncleanliness, it says over in 2 Peter 2.10. They have the lust of their carnal flesh. In fact, what Peter says in 2, Timothy, or in 2 Peter chapter 2, what he says over there is they're nothing but sick dogs and dirty hogs. They're sick dogs that return to their vomit and they're dirty hogs that jump back in the Back up, back in the mire. In other words, they were cleaned up, but they weren't really cleaned on the inside. And they run back to it because they love that lifestyle. And that lifestyle is contrary to the Word of God. And either you're going to change your lifestyle because you're not going to change the Word of God, or you're going to say, well, I'm going to change the Word of God. He ain't coming. And that's what they're doing. And they're scoffing at them. And in defiance, they shake their fists at Him. And they reject Him. And yet what Peter says is, listen... The word said that they would even come. The word predicted that, that scoffers would come in the last time. Scoffing, saying these things, walking according to their own lust. But in verse 5 it says this. You know what? God, they're defiant to God's patience with them. Because he's, he's already displayed his patience, but they don't recognize it. Notice what Peter says here. For this they willfully forget. In other words... In their minds, they have received truth, they've received light, and they try to suppress it. They don't want that light. Because that light will illumine their lives and help them to realize, I need to do something to change my life. But they don't want to do that. And so they defy Him. And yet, on display for them is God's patience. In fact, God's patience is on display all around the world in a myriad of ways. But here's how he does it. Peter speaks of two particular ways. Notice what he says. They forget that the word of God, by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. In other words, when God spoke everything into existence and he made this whole creation, this, he just spoke a word and it was. Amen. And when he did that, God has displayed his great patience as he has made this world. And as he has had done that, then Peter mentions that there was a time that God said, I'm going to destroy what's on this world. This world that was pulled out of the waters, that stood out of the waters. In verse 6, it existed, but it perished because it was flooded with water. Now, this is the first time that Peter refers to the flood and to what happened in particularly with Noah. But he's saying, listen, they, they don't notice that God is displaying his patience even now. He's displayed it once. You see, when God created the world and man sinned, 
When you get over to Genesis 6, what you discover is the heart, the mind of man was on sin continuously. We were corrupted. Mankind was corrupted pretty bad. And God was going to destroy everything. But he found one man that had favor. It was Noah. And he called Noah and he said to Noah, Noah, I've got a mission for you. Something I want you to do. I want you to build an ark. So Noah did that. And Noah preached. And during that time, Noah warned. And God forewarned it was time to be saved. But God brought judgment. He, for 120 years, held back and displayed his patience not bringing judgment. In fact, what's fascinating, that's on display all the time. Do you know how God displays that? It's in the sky. A rainbow. For everybody, everyone sees it after a storm, right? Everyone sees that rainbow. That's God's sign. It's not the sign for some group out there, okay? They stole that. In fact, they don't even have all the colors in it. All right? It's God's sign. And God is displaying, hey, there was a time I was patient for 120 years, but I flooded this earth with water once, and I can judge it again. In fact, God is going displaying even now his patience because Peter says he's not going to destroy it with the flood. He's going to destroy it with fire. In fact, what he says here in verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word. God gave his word. He put a sign in the sky. I will not destroy the earth again with water. That's a sign. God's going to keep God's kept his word pretty good for about 6,000 years, right? Notice this now, this world is reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Down in verse 10, the day of the Lord, that's a day of judgment, by the way. It'll come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. That means, y'all, we should be getting excited that God could come and Christ could return at any moment. We should be, bring that day. Anybody saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha. I'm about done with this world. Amen? But if you're still with breath today, there's a reason so that we can warn this world around us, judgment's coming. God's patient right now. He's displaying that. He's holding back what he's promised is going to come. One day everything's going to get burned up. All the great works of man, everything that man has done, none of it will last. And by the way, some think some politician or some, some psycho over in North Korea is going to hit a button, right, and start a nuclear world war. And a nuclear war is going to burn everything up. Beloved, God will not allow man to do what he's promised he's going to do. All right. Now, they may fire off a nuke or two. That's, we've already seen that in world wars. But it, they, they will not cataclysmic do the whole earth. God said, that's my, my prerogative. And I will do that. In fact, when he burns it up, he will burn it up and dissolve all the elements. And he will then produce a new heaven and a new earth. That's what he says in verse 13. Nevertheless, we look according to his promise... God gave his word, he spoke a promise, looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see, the God who spoke a word and made this world, spoke a word and he flooded this world. And he spoke another word, said, I'll never do that again. Then he spoke a word and he says, I will do it with fire. 
And you see, we've already learned this verse too. Psalm 115.3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. He's sovereign over all things. And he will accomplish his work. An amazing thing is you go all throughout scripture. And you stop about and see just how God shows his patience. Not just to the Jew, but also to the Gentile. I mean, even Father Abraham, right? He spoke to Father Abraham and said, Listen, Abraham, I've chosen you. Your seed is going to be strangers in a foreign land. And they're going to go down there for four generations. In fact, they're going to stay there until the sin of the Amorite is complete. What was happening? What does that mean? The, the, the cup of wrath was not full yet to be poured out on the Amorite people. I mean, they were a wicked people. But God said, I'm giving them space to repent, to turn to me. And after 400 years, you know what God did? Just as he said, just as he promised, God brought his people out of Egypt back to the promised land. Stop and consider how God displays his patience with his own people. I mean, even those people that he brought out of the promised land and walked through the wilderness, how patient he was with a stubborn, hard-hearted, hard-necked people who wanted to go back to Egypt, had seen the power of God, his display, everything that the awesome God had done, all the, all the, the miracles that he had performed and the plagues that he sent in judgment, destroying the army of the Egyptians in the Red Sea, letting his people walk through on dry ground, how God displayed his awesome power, and yet he was so patient with his people, even though they grumbled and complained, he still sent them manna, he still provided quail, he still gave them water from the rock in the wilderness. Their clothes didn't wear out. Why is he so patient? Because he's patient, same reason, with them as he was with the Amorites. God wants one thing. There is one desire of that patience and long-suffering. And here it is. Listen. Beloved, do not, verse 8, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. But the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. But is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why didn't God just squash the Amorites? Why didn't God just judge his people? I mean, he could have just opened up the earth. He did it once with Korah and that rebellion, right? Why didn't he just do it with that whole generation? I remember, by the way, he said that to Moses. You know what? I can wipe all of them out right now when he was on Mount Sinai, and I can just start over with you. But you know what Moses said? No, God, have mercy. God, please be patient with them. Be long-suffering. Twice Moses had to do that, pleading for God's people. Why didn't he just squash them? I mean, they're misguided, right? They don't understand Scripture. They don't understand the nature of God. They don't understand God's eternality. You know what? With our God, one day for you and me is a thousand years to him. A thousand years is his one day. And you and I can't fathom what that looks like. He's so incomprehensible, so beyond us. We've studied that as well. But while it appears to you, to me, to others, well, God's slow in fulfilling his promise. But you see, God's not slack. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He wants man to repent. God's always on time in fulfilling his promise. We don't understand his delay, but praise God, he's always on time. Amen. They're not realizing, they're not looking 
They're not considering, reflecting on the essence of God, his eternality, and what his desire is. God's desire is that none perish, but all come to repentance, a change of mind. Why? The change of mind is this. He's God, and I'm not. He's offering freedom. He's offering freedom from sin and salvation and deliverance from sin. And I can't deliver myself. I choose him. I repent. I walk towards him. I turn away from my sin. I don't want to go that way anymore. I walk, step towards God. Listen, God's patience does not mean he doesn't have the power to act. He does have the power. God's patience, listen, means his purpose has not yet been fulfilled, accomplished. And what God desires is that mankind turn to him. He does not delight that men perish. In fact, what's amazing, over and over, we didn't read it, but in chapter 2 of 2 Peter, he highlights there the two judgments of God when God was patient. One is with Abraham, when Abraham interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. And remember, they had a little discussion, God and Abraham, and he said, should I show Abraham what I'm about to do in Sodom and Gomorrah? I think I will. And so he took him there and he showed him and he said, listen, I'm going to smoke that city. And remember, Abraham had that little pleading with God. Hey, is the, if there's 50 righteous, hey, if there's 40 righteous, hey, can I get a 35? Can I get a 30? Right on down, right? Could I find 10 righteous people? Couldn't even find 10. Uh, by the way, Peter says there was righteous lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. And his soul was vexed by what he saw. Like mine is today by the clown world we see out there and what's going on. And if your soul isn't vexed by that, then you need to check your heart. And oh, by the way, praise God for the North Carolina Senate and the North Carolina House that overturned three vetoes this week of Governor Cooper uh, for our families. Praise God for that. I need to just say amen for that. God smoked Sodom and Gomorrah. But he was patient and let Abraham intercede for a moment to try to intercede if he could just find ten righteous, but he didn't. He also alludes to, to, to Noah, that preacher of righteousness, and the flood and the judgment that came when God patiently waited. I mean, you stop and think about Noah building that ark. I know they got one up there in Ohio, right? You can go see. But just imagine two little boys walking through the woods one day, and all of a sudden they come out of the woods, and, and they look, and they're like, wow, look at this. What's of that thing there? Well, let's go find out. And they walk up and they get up there and they say, Hey, old man, what you building? And he says, This is an ark. And you need to get inside of it. You need to prepare because there's coming a day of judgment. And if you don't get inside the ark, you will not be saved. You will not survive. No one will survive. Well, why we got to get in the ark? Because it's going to rain. What's rain? Because it's never rained. No, no, you need to get in. Now's the time. And they just scratch their heads and wonder, what in the world is he building? And they go home. And they go back and they go back to, to their house and they're on the porch. Because they lived like 900 years back then, right? You got Pa and Grandpa. And they're rocking on their chairs. Where you boys been? Hey, Pa. What's an ark? Hey, Grandpa. What's rain? Oh, you boys been down there with old Noah. That crazy old coot. He's been down there for over a hundred years building that thing. And you know what? Nothing's happened what he said. Keeps telling us to get our life right. Keeps telling us to get in his boat and get ready. That thing's big enough to hold lots of people. 
In fact, Grandpa says to one of the boys, you know, when I was a kid, my dad said he'd been working on the thing for almost 20 years and ain't nothing happened. Everything's going to be fine. Well, that night, them boys go get in their beds. And as their mamas are tucking them in, you can just imagine, using your sanctified imagination, the sky lit up with lightning. There was the sound of thunder. The clouds rolled in. The ground began to open. Water fell down. Water came up. And the earth was flooded. And it was too late. And it was too late to respond. God's patience does not go on forever. Mercy is everlasting. God's patience is not. There comes a point where God says, enough is enough. And you know what Peter says? God's desire in his long suffering is that man repent. That's the scripture always, always says that. I mean, Jesus said that's the gospel, right? Jesus said, look, the kingdom of heaven has been fulfilled. Here I am. And there's the two words, repent and believe. That's what God always wants. What's Lady Wisdom saying over in Proverbs chapter 1? Screaming out to everybody who passes by. Turn, turn, shuv is the Hebrew term. Turn to me, turn to me, walk towards me. Get going in that direction. Don't go that way anymore. It's death, it's destruction. It will not help you. God's saying to everyone in this room, everyone watching online, everybody listening on the radio, God is saying, turn to me while there's time. You may think you've got it. Some people snowed, some people fooled around you. You can't fool God. Stop trying. He wants us to be pure. He wants us to be genuine and authentic. And he wants us to come to him with open hearts so that it's written of you and it's written of me that I delight to do the will of God. Christ came to set us free. And there's a day coming, a day that will be a day of judgment. No one knows when it will be. Peter says it's going to come like a thief in the night. No one tells the thief, hey, I'm not going to be home tonight. Come on over. No, we don't do that. That day's coming. None of us knows when it will be. If someone marks it on the calendar, I'll tell you it won't be that one. <laughs> right? No one knows. But you should live each day. As he says over in verse 13, we should be looking for, hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Because we know God is patient. But that patience only lasts for a period of time and then it is over. You see, if you're taking God... His patience for granted today. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. There comes a day when God says enough is enough. And that's why Peter would say today. Today is the day of salvation. Today if the spirit of God is convicting me. If, if, or Paul would say that to the Philippians. Today's the day of salvation. If the Spirit of God is convicting me of sin, and I know, listen, I'm done. I'm done struggling with this. I don't want to live this way any longer. I don't want to wait till God's patience runs out. I want to run while there's time. We learned it last week. He's compassionate. Christ has provided everything for us. That's what this table represents when we partake of the Lord's Supper. It's a reminder. Everything's been provided for. The sacrifice has been met. Come to him. He's reaching to you. You know, it's amazing. When you go over to the book of Romans and you find what, you know, Peter mentions Paul here and his difficult letters. And, and some think, of course, Peter was crucified in Rome. So he may know the, the letter to the Romans that would have been written. What's fascinating is over in the book of Romans, 
Paul says this over in chapter 2. Well, first in chapter 15, he uses the divine title of God and calls him the God of patience. Pretty amazing, huh? But here, in, in, or in, second, in, in Romans 2, verses 4 and 5, listen to what Paul said to sinners. He said, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, his patience? Not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. God is holding back, Paul says. He's holding back his judgment. He's forbearing, bringing that. He's patient. But he wants you to repent. And then he goes on and he says this. But because of your stubborn and unrepentant hearts, you're storing up wrath for yourself and the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. God's holding it back. Don't all try him. Be free. You don't have to live in bondage any longer. You can be set free because of what Christ has done. Why wouldn't you want to experience that? That's what Peter writes about over in, in his first epistle. That Christ came and he set us free. He shed that blood. We've been purchased with that precious blood. And the word, the word that we've now received is implanted. And it gives us new life. Some people wonder, well, why isn't God doing something? Why doesn't he strike those sinners down? Why doesn't he shut their mouths? Why doesn't he bring judgment upon them? Well, because you see, he's patient with them as he was with you and me. Think about that for a moment. In fact, can I just say this? This week when you're offended, please hopefully not when someone drives in front of you crazily on 77. But when someone provokes you and you restrain yourself by the Spirit of Almighty God within you because it's the fruit of the Spirit, patience, right? And you restrain yourself, and they look and say, man, I thought you would have chewed me out. Could you use that as a platform to say, well, let me just tell you, I'll be patient with you because there's a God who is patient with me. There's a God who is patient with me in my sin, my rebellion, and, and I realized I needed to, to change something in my life. And maybe there's something in your life right now that God's speaking to you that you need to change as well. You see, if we've experienced that patience, right, and we realize it, we certainly should be willing to share it with others, amen? That means, you know, giving our spouses time to, for their hearts to be made new, or our children. This is the power of grace and mercy. And oh, parents, we all want to pull our hair out at times. Patience. And you see, God gave you all those precious little ones, those projects you're working on. They're houses of worship, right? Some, some idol or God will dwell therein, right? And yet what God is doing, actually, in giving you those precious building projects... Is, is teaching you patience as he works on you, as you shepherd them. And sometimes, you know what? We need to be reminded, God's been really patient with us. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. That's what Peter has said. He, he's given us exceedingly great and precious promises. And one day they will all come to pass. But when they don't, that's not a license to sin. It's not a license to rebel. It's not a license to walk away and step back. No, no, no. God's still working his purposes, and I can trust him. And I can allow him to do his work in me. And oh, that he would. Amen.